0: Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 5. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Over these past few weeks, as we have studied through these blessed scriptures, it's become so very obvious that God is not only intensely interested, but is also intimately involved in every detail, in every venue of our daily life. And as these scriptures clearly tell us, with God, all things have to do with relationships. The relationship that we've been studying about between husbands and wives. The relationship between parents and their children. And now here today, in these words, the relationship that we are to have with our employer. And in these relationships, God has made it clear to us that those relationships are always accountable back to him personally. Today as we spend our time examining God's desires for us regarding our employment, may I begin by suggesting that most Christians probably have no idea how very important our relationship with our employer is to God. But it is. And God makes that Very plain here within these words, because on five different occasions within these few verses, he tells us that everything that we do with our employer, we do for him. Note as we begin that God is intensely concerned about our response of obedience. Obedience. It's so very clear throughout all these scriptures that obedience is one of the most desired and most noble of all of our behaviors, beginning first with our response to God and then on out to all of those, as we're studying here today, that He has placed in authority over us. And obedience is clearly one of those free will choices that God leaves within the hands of men. A matter of choice on our part. And obedience never seems an easy choice for us to make. There are so many competing ideas and philosophies and choices that get in our way. And too often, the most ardent of our antagonists to this response of obedience comes from within our own souls. Within our own souls and that of being of pride. Pride. As we've said on other occasions... Pride, our personal ego, our claim to our right to ourself, is really without equal as the most powerful force of evil that we'll ever deal with. Especially because it is ever present within us. And pride is never satisfied to live alongside other influences within us. Pride must always dominate. We have only to consider the very first choices that we're spoken about here in these scriptures, that of God's first children, Adam and Eve. Their instruction towards obedience was so very simple and so very limited, with only one law, one law restricting them, just one. He said, don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Every other thing, an opportunity, was permitted except that one. And is that not the way of our souls? We can have 10,000 Other things that are permitted for us to do. With only one thing that's forbidden. And we will be continually tempted and tantalized by that one forbidden thing until we eventually give in to it. It's sad. Now with Adam and Eve, the Scriptures don't tell us how long they remained faithful and obedient. It would seem like it wasn't long. But it might have been a long, long time. But by them eventually making that one seemingly small exception. I say it that way because we so often want to minimize what we do. One small exception. And everything changed. And because of that, every person that would be born from their seed, you and me, have been eternally changed by it. And again, their failure was rooted within this one concept. Obedience or disobedience. And it was brought on by the one fatal flaw of pride. Pride. Now Satan, their tempter that brought them to that point, understood pride all too well. Pride had been his downfall, bringing on all the disobedience that he would show. And then unfortunately, pride loves to develop friends and followers. And so Satan then did exactly that. He took about a third of the angels with him. And then Adam and Eve, and now you and me, pride loves company. Now why am I bringing Adam and Eve and the devil and ego and pride into this consideration that God's placed before us in this passage about employment? It's because ego and pride will most always be the determining factor as to whether or not you and I remain obedient in the matters of our employment. Now here in these words, God's using the circumstance of a slave and a master rather than simple employment. But the concept of obedience remains the same for both. Yes, those masters actually owned the person of those slaves and such ownership, as you know, is not present now. But with either or both, no man's soul is ever owned by another person. And that's what God's making clear here right from the beginning. He says in verse 5, Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. Owners are masters over the fleshly bodies of their slaves, but they are never masters over their souls. And that must always be so for you and me, and especially as it relates to our employment. Workers must never allow a condition to exist where the employer has sway over their souls. Now granted, yes, our employers can control much of what we do and often their demands are very invasive and overpowering. And it can reach into our souls if we don't watch out. But this scripture and others like it are saying that there is only one, one only, who is permitted to be the true owner of our soul, and that's God alone. So yes, they can be to some degree a master over our fleshly bodies, but never our souls. But then what are we to do when our employer becomes that way, overbearing? That took place in the slave and master circumstance with the Hebrew people and the Egyptians. If our employer becomes so unreasonable in their demands, are we ever allowed to be disobedient? Do these scriptures ever allow us to actually be disobedient? Now, for you and I who are not slaves, our first option can always be for us to quit and to walk away from our overbearing employer. But do we have the right to be disobedient to them while we remain their employee? The Lord wants us to understand what we're doing. Folks, employment and our relationship to our employers are very important to God. Do we do right when we decide we are going to be disobedient to our employer? During the Industrial Revolution, about a century ago, disobedience was the path that the workers took in those labor industries, steel mills and railroads and automobile factories and coal mines. And they believed that they really needed to keep their jobs and they were being mistreated by their employers, so they took the route of forming together labor unions. A question about that. Is the mandatory arbitration that unions require a form of disobedience? In today's world, there are so many employments that are already union. And if they happen to be the employer, a major employer in your area, and you want to work for them, then you might need to join that. Union shop. It might be required. And so therefore then as a worker you'd have no choice but to be a part of that union. And so as we would read these words about obedience and disobedience, it gets complicated by factors such as those. But God wants us to be diligent in our accountability back to Him. Verse 5. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. May I paraphrase that set of verses And I'm going to substitute the word workers for the word slaves. Let me read it again for you. Workers, be obedient to your employers with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart, just as you would towards Christ himself. And not just because your employers are watching you so as to please them while they're watching, but as obedient servants to Christ, doing the will of God, with all your heart. And workers, do not do your work grudgingly, but be of goodwill and cheerful towards your employers as you serve them, just as you would be if you were working directly for Christ Himself and not for men. Because in fact, you truly are working for Christ. It is Him who will reward you for your service. Now that's my paraphrase, but that's what these words are saying. Now consider these first words. Workers be obedient with fear and trembling. Now those words, fear and trembling, have to do with reverence and respect. And for the most part, that's a very strange concept in our average workplace today. We seldom hold our bosses in high esteem. We tolerate them. And yes, we do fear them to some extent because we're afraid we might get fired. But that's not what these words are saying. That has to do with a self-centered fear and very little to do with reverence towards our boss. It seems more often that our culture promotes resentment towards authority rather than fear and trembling. I would suggest that in most break rooms and such areas as that in most of the workplaces, unkindness towards employer is the general conversation. Not that the employer does everything right, but that's not who the Lord is dealing with in these words. The Lord's not dealing with the employer uh, in the words I'm saying to you here. Yes, to some extent, but who he's really touching is you and me as the employees. We have to be careful about how we let ourselves voice such uh, resentment because in these words, respect for our masters and accountability to God they are too closely intertwined within these words for us to be careless about the words that come out of our mouths. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Now note that connection that God makes here, relating our response to our boss, that conversation that we're having across that break room table, relating our response to our boss as being no less than the response that we would have to Christ Himself. Now consider this closely. Now recall also that the Lord Jesus, as He walked around this earth, He knew what everyone around Him was thinking. You and I have to understand that that is true also right now. He knows what each one of us in this room is thinking. Every moment, Christ knows our very thoughts. He knows... As a worker, if we are working with sincerity of heart, or if our response is only half-hearted, even resentful, and we're not giving a good day's work, and it may be because we think that we're not getting a good day's wage, but that's not what this is about. We are to work with all of our heart, not half-hearted. says with sincerity of heart. And what these words are saying, folks, is that whatever our response is, And especially if it's a resentful one, that is going right back in the face of Christ himself because the work that we are to do is to be done as unto Christ. And then also, just as we must want the work of Christ to be successful on this earth, so also we must want our employer to be very successful. And our work should be sincere to accomplish their success. And we should take great joy in knowing that what we have done has prospered our employer greatly, made him successful, made the whole business successful. Those words again. Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. And this sincerity of heart as unto Christ is carried on forward in these next words. To tell us, not by way of eye service, as men-pleasers. When they're watching, I observe workers. I can see them change their pace of doing things when I see certain of the managers walk by. Eye service. But he says, not by way of eye service, as men-pleasers, but as slaves to Christ. Here again, that relationship. Us with our employers and us with Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart, these scriptures tell us. I want to give this the emphasis that it deserves. God is being so very clear to us here. The way that you and I respond to our boss should be no less reverent and no less respectful and obedient than the response that we would have to Christ himself. That's what these words are saying. Now that may seem to be an overstatement, but it's not. It's what these words are saying. Now, I must confess to you that I personally spent most of my work life in disobedience to God. Even in that Christian organization there, French camp. Yes, I worked hard. And for the most part, I did a reasonably good job. But on this account, this one count right here, I failed miserably. I failed miserably in having the proper respect for my boss. And even if... My boss thought well of me. God always knew my thoughts. He knew that I was resentful. And you and I are going to have to stand before Christ in judgment for all that we do in this life. And I'm very aware of that. Yes, I've repented, and yes, I'm saved, and yes, I'm going to heaven. But God will be talking to me about all of those things that I have done. Why do I say that? It's because God says it in Ecclesiastes 12, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, thoughts of my own mind, whether good or evil. The Lord's going to say to me, we got a long time. Let's talk about it. You're here in heaven. I'm going to be there in heaven. I'm not going to be punished for those things that I did wrong. I'm saved. I have repented for all those things. But God is going to bring them into conversation with me. And I know that. And so, what should that do? That should make me want to change the way I do things and not be so resentful. Now, this word eye service. Not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Listen, eye service is deceit and it is manipulation and neither of those are acceptable to God. Note these next words also, verse 7. With goodwill, render service as to the Lord and not to men. Again, notice the relationship. He's comparing what you do with your employer is what you're doing with me. With goodwill, render service as to the Lord and not to men. Now that goodwill that's spoken about here, that has a meaning of well-intention and cheerfulness. It has a cheerfulness factor within that word. How can we become cheerful in a very stressful job? I thought about the first question of our catechism. What is the chief end of man? The answer to that is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the secret to doing our work cheerfully and with goodwill. If we can simply grasp within our soul that we are working as to the Lord for Christ Himself, then we'll do our work much better, glorifying Him. If that is our full intent, to glorify Him. But at the same time, and I love this, He rewards us back with enjoyment, good cheer. That's what's being said here in verse 8. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord. That's a simple promise that if we will do our work for our employer in an excellent manner, then abundant blessings will flow back to us. God will make sure of it, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Yes, we might be looking for that appreciation to be shown by our boss. It might not be. But we will get that appreciation back from the Lord in other ways. And we'll walk away from that job at the end of each day Very satisfied. That's a promise and a guarantee from God Himself. I had reason to share these words with a young friend this past week. He's struggling with his job. He may not be employed there anymore, although I hope uh, he is still able to go back to work. But he has some disabilities that hinder his being able to do those more complicated forms of work well. But he's able to do low-level work. But in his job, his boss is very unkind, very unkind. And he's given to profane outbursts, discouraging my young friend terribly with his continual berating and, and belittling comments. My young friend asked me, how should he deal with that? and My advice to him was exactly these words that are given here that if we'll work hard all through the day, being careful to always be cheerful and to do a good job as unto the Lord, then God will reward His good efforts. And in some manner, the mouth of that unkind man will begin to soften. I believe that's part of what the Lord is saying here. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, he will receive back from the Lord. He may not bless my young friend, that employer, but at least my young friend would be able to have peace as he did work. Now these words, they're all plain to understand, and they're a promise from God that if you and I will do our work in an excellent manner, cheerful and with good attitude towards our employer, making our employer successful, wanting the success for our employer, then the Lord Himself will reward our efforts. So then my prayer for each of us is that God will open the eyes of our hearts as we go through all the activities of daily life and especially as it concerns our workplace and that we will be able to truly realize and to recognize God's personal involvement in all that we do. That yes, we do work for men. But our real contract, our real agreement about that work is between us and Christ himself. That if we will do our work for him, to glorify him, then he will bless us and reward us beyond measure. These words, as we close, from Colossians 3. Whatever you do, do your work heartily from the soul as for the Lord rather than for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of an inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Let's pray.